Now King David was old and advanced in years, and although they covered him with clothes, he could not get warm. Therefore his servants said to him, Let a young woman be brought for my lord the king, and let her wait on the king and be in his service. Let her lie in your arms, that my lord the king may be warm. And so they sought for a beautiful young woman throughout all the territory of Israel, and found Abishag the Shumanite, and brought her to the king. The young woman was very beautiful, and she was of service to the king, and attended to him. But the king knew her not. Now Adonijah, the son of Haggith, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. And he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen and fifty men to run before him. And his father had never at any time displeased him by asking, Why have you done thus and so? He was also a very handsome man, and he was born next after Absalom. He conferred with Joab, the son of Zeruiah, with, and with Abiathar the priest, and they followed Adonijah and helped him. But Zadok the priest, and Benaniah the son of Jehoiada, and Nathan the prophet, and Shimei, and Ray, and David's mighty men were not with Adonijah. Adonijah sacrificed sheep, oxen, and fattened cattle by the serpent stone, which is beside Enrogel, and he invited all his brothers, the king's sons, and all the royal officials of Judah. But he did not invite Nathan the prophet, or Benaniah, or the mighty men, or Solomon his brother. And then Nathan said to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, Have you not heard that Adonijah, the son of Haggith, has become king, and, our, and David, our Lord, does not know it? Now, therefore, let me give you advice, that you may save your own life and the life of your son Solomon. Go in at once to King David and say to him, Did you not, my lord the king, swear to your servant, saying, Solomon, your son, shall reign after me? And he shall sit on my throne. Why then is Adonijah the king? And then, while you are still speaking with the king, I also will come in after you and confirm your words. And so Bathsheba went into the king in his chamber. Now the king was very old, and Abishag the Shumanite was attending to the king. And Bathsheba bowed and paid homage to the king. And the king said, What do you desire? She said to him, My lord. You swore to your servant by the Lord your God, saying, Solomon your son shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne. And now, behold, Adonijah is king, although you, my lord the king, do not know it. He has sacrificed oxen, fattened cattle, and sheep in abundance, and has invited all, those, all the sons of the king, Abiathar the priest, and Joab the commander of the army. But Solomon your servant, he has not invited and now, my lord the king, the eyes of all Israel are on you to tell them who shall sit on the throne of my lord the king after him. Otherwise it will come to pass when my lord the king sleeps with his fathers that I and my son Solomon will be counted offenders. And while she was still speaking with the king, Nathan the prophet came in. And they told the king, Here is Nathan the prophet, and when he came in before the king, he bowed before the king with his face to the ground. And Nathan said, My lord the king, have you said Adonijah shall reign after me and he shall sit on my throne? 
For he has gone down this day and has sacrificed oxen, fattened cattle, and sheep in abundance and has invited all the king's sons and the commanders of the army and Abiathar the priest. And behold, they are eating and drinking before him and saying, Long live King Adonijah! But me, your servant, and Zadok the priest, and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, and your servant Solomon, he has not invited Has this thing been brought about by my lord the king, and you have not told your servants who should sit on the throne of my lord the king after him? Then King David answered, Call Bathsheba to me. So she came into the king's presence and stood before him. And the king swore, saying, As the Lord lives, who has redeemed my soul out of every adversity, As I swore to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, saying, Solomon, your son, shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne in my place. Even so, I will do this day. And then Bathsheba bowed with her face to the ground and paid homage to the king and said, May my Lord King David live forever. King David said, Call to me Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada. And so they came before the king, and the king said to them, Take with you the servants of your Lord, and have Solomon my son ride on my mule, and bring him down to Gihon. And let Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet there anoint him king over Israel. And then blow the trumpet, and say, Long live King Solomon. And you shall then come up after him, and he shall come and sit on my throne, for he shall be king in my place. And I have anointed him to be ruler over Israel and over Judah. And Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, answered the king, Amen! May the Lord, the God of my Lord, the king, say so, as the Lord has been with my Lord, the king. Even so may he be with Solomon and make his throne greater than the throne of my my Lord, King David. And so, Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, and the Cherethites and the Pelethites went down and had Solomon ride on King David's mule and brought him to Gihon. And there Zadok the priest took the horn of oil from the tent and anointed Solomon. And then they blew the trumpet, and all the people said, Long live King Solomon! And all the people went up after him, playing on pipes and rejoicing with great joy, so that the earth was split by their noise. Adonijah and all the guests who were with him heard it as they finished feasting. And when Joab heard the sound of the trumpet, he said, What does this uproar in the city mean? And while he was still speaking, behold, Jonathan, the son of Abiathar the priest, came. And Adonijah said, Come in, for you a worthy man, and bring good news. And Jonathan answered Adonijah, No, for our Lord King David has made Solomon king. And the king has sent with him Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, and the Cherethites and the Pelethites. And they had him ride on the king's mule. And Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet had anointed him king at Gihon, and they have gone up from there rejoicing, so that the city is in an uproar. This is the noise that you have heard. Solomon sits on the royal throne." Moreover, the king's servants came to congratulate our Lord King David, saying, May your God make the name of Solomon more famous than yours and make his throne greater than your throne. And the king bowed himself on the bed. 
And the king also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who has granted someone to sit on my throne this day, my own eyes seeing it. And then all the guests of Adonijah trembled and rose, and each went to his own way. And Adonijah feared Solomon. So he arose and went and took hold of the horns of the altar. And then it was told Solomon, Behold, Adonijah fears King Solomon, for behold, he has laid hold of the, king's, uh, the horns of the altar, saying, Let King Solomon swear to me first that he will not put his servant to death with the sword. And Solomon said, Well, if he will show himself a worthy man, not one of his hairs shall fall to the earth. But if wickedness is found in him, he shall die. And so King Solomon sent, and they brought him down from the altar. And he came, paid homage to King Solomon, and Solomon said to him, Go to your house. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we give you thanks that you are indeed God of all creation, King of heaven, King of earth. And Lord, as we just confessed a moment ago, you are the one who rules over all of these things. Uh, you bring things about, even kings as head of nations. And so, Lord, this evening, as we study your word, I pray that you, by your spirit, would rule our hearts also. I pray, Lord, that where sin lies, that you would tenderly and graciously and kindly peel back the wrapper that we might see it, and that the spirit might enable us to walk in obedience and repentance. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, saying that I think all of us might find familiar is this one. It says, uh, keep your enemies close, but keep your friends closer. Uh, we've all heard it, and this is no, by no way, by no means, an endorsement of that kind of ideology, but it does kind of bring about an important point, or it, it kind of uh, shows us, it brings about an idea and the idea that it's getting at is this idea of that there are dangers out there that I can see. But those may not be the dangers that are the greatest dangers. It's the dangers that, that are close to me, the ones that I can't see, the ones that I don't know about. Those are the ones that are perhaps even more dangerous. You know, I can see the, the, the grizzly bear out there, and I know that he's dangerous. But perhaps it's the, the rattlesnake that I can't see that's covered up by the weeds and so on and so forth that may be actually most dangerous in the moment. And historically, the same has been true for the people of Israel. Right? There are dangers that we see in the Bible for the people of Israel out there. Think of the book of Joshua, right? The Canaanites are the enemies of the Israelites, right? It's, it's the mission of the people of God to go and to conquer the Canaanites. And then once they obtain the promised land to fend off they're enemies from without that seek to take back the kingdom. That's like the book of Joshua, the book of Judges, Samuel, so on and so forth. But what we also notice in the history of the people of Israel is that there are dangers from within. And oftentimes it's these dangers from within that actually pose to be the greatest dangers. It's evil people that rise up within the nation of Israel that seem to cause the most damage and wreak the most havoc, Satan not being least among them. And it's that kind of danger. It's the danger from within 
that the people of Israel struggle with throughout the entire book of First and Second Kings. It's this, this idea uh, of, of the people of God, the people of Israel are their own worst enemy. And we don't even get through chapter 1 before we see exactly that happening. And what's the situation that kind of brings about this danger? Well, it's the fact that there's no king in Israel, it seems, anymore. Right? David has lived his best king life in First and Second Samuel. Uh, he's, he's done great things. He's been a hero. He's exemplified himself to be a man after God's own heart. He's also exemplified himself to be a sinner as well. But he's been a good king, perhaps the best king the people of Israel have ever had. But now, in the book of 1 Kings, when we open to verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 1, that's not really the case. Uh, we see that there's a leadership vacuum. David's not leading. David's simply just trying to survive. He's an old man. He can't stay warm. David's not being king. David's just living. And because of that, uh, by necessary implication, David has taken a more passive approach to leadership within the nation of Israel. And passivity is one of those dangers to the kingdom of God from within. What, what, what is passivity? Well, it, it's kind of an, an apathy, a, a lack of interest, a lack of enthusiasm, a lack of concern for the things that are before us. It's, it's kind of, as David exemplifies here, it's a hands-off approach to leading. There's the temptation, you know, at the end of every work day, at the end of, um, at just at the end of day, of the day with kids, right? Uh, we're exhausted, we're tired, we've, we've, uh, our moms in the room have been with the kids all day, our, uh, the dads in the room have been at work all day, and we come home, and we just kind of simply, we just want to go to sleep, we just want to rest. And there's the temptation to just, take the passive approach to parenting and if you have toddlers you know that the passive approach to parenting is not what they need <laughs> they're usually not the greatest decision makers well that's kind of the the picture that that's in israel uh, right now right this is not the time for uh, a king to be passive in his leadership the people of israel need someone who will lead strongly they need someone who's a decision maker they need someone who will lead them to the Lord God Almighty. But that's just not what David's doing at this point in time. David's, a couple of things kind of show us David's passivity here. Number one, it's his leadership. Again, he's just trying to survive. He's just a living. Verse one kind of points this out for us. David's old and advanced in his years. He can't stay warm and in 970 BC, you don't just go plug up a heater in the king's bedroom and say, hey, uh, you'll be warm now. Not even in the king's palace is there electricity during this point in time. So the best solution is, well, we've got to find him some way to give him body heat. And so they seek out this woman in the nation of Israel. Why he doesn't go to one of his wives, I don't know. And I can't answer that question. But the point is, is that David's just kind of floating along. He's just living. He's just, he's just surviving. His, his days of conquest are over. His days of defeating the Philistines are over. His days of leading the people of Israel with a strong arm are over. But it's not just David's leadership that's passive. It's his parenting that's also passive. In the middle of the narrator's story telling uh, the, the narrator's telling the story of how Eli or Adonijah is rising uh, to power. 
in verse 6, the, the narrator is very careful to make uh, an important note. It's that Adonijah's father, King David, had never at any time displeased him by asking, why have you done thus and so? Right When, when Adonijah was seemingly starting to get the train rolling, get the train moving with his, uh, with his coup, with his taking over the kingship of Israel. Right? He's, he's, he's doing that actively. Right? Adonijah exalted himself. He's already got chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before. He's already acting like a king. And his father's aware of it. But never at one time did his father say, hey, what, what are you doing? What's your mission? What, what, are, you, what are you after here? And the author drives home the point a little bit harder when he even mentions the name of Absalom. If you've read the book of 2 Samuel lately, you'll know uh, that Absalom was another one of David's sons. Adonijah's David's fourth son. Absalom was David's third son. In 2 Samuel 14 through 18, we see another example of David's passivity when it comes to parenting. In 2 Samuel 14... Absalom killed one of his other brothers. David failed to act. Instead of dealing with it, David just brought him back to Jerusalem and said, hey, live here where I can at least see you. Well, that's not what happened. Uh, In 2 Samuel 15, Absalom sets himself up to begin to replace his father on the throne 2 Samuel 16 to 18, David is subsequently pushed out, put on the run again, uh, all because David failed to act, failed to address the problem with Absalom. And here the narrator is kind of alluding to that whole thing again. David, why aren't you acting? Why aren't you doing something? And so here we have Absalom 2.0, right? The oldest brother, presumably now living, is making a run for the throne. He's forcefully going to put himself there, which we'll talk about more in a minute, while David just sits back. Passivity is a danger to God's kingdom from within. And this church is, is an expression of God's kingdom, right? This, this church is an expression of God's people. And the church needs her, her people not to be passive, right? We, we want to encourage the saints. We want to gather and perfect the saints so that they can serve the Lord God Almighty. We want to equip them. That's what our ministry here is about. We want to equip the people of God that they might serve the people of God. We're not, uh, we're not after passivity what we want is christians who are excited christians who are who are excited to serve the lord christians who are excited to 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 do anything that they can for the lord god who saved them and as we kind of ask this question or think about this idea in the current moment in our church's life this is a very exciting time i'm excited Right? I'm, I'm here, uh, I'm getting to know you, uh, we're together now, this has been kind of an idea that's been coming for a couple months, 
And it, it seems as if, you know, last Sunday evening was, was a beautiful expression of just how excited we are as a church body and just how glad and happy we are to be together. It's a wonderful time in the life of the church. But the danger is, is that it, it's really easy to be active and to be excited and to be, uh, and to be doing the work of ministry when things are wonderful and, 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 and people are happy and so on and so forth. It becomes a bit more difficult when things become ordinary. And so two kind of warnings as both myself and we as a church kind of as time clicks on. As we get busier, may we not let passivity replace our uh, activity in the church right as our lives get busier as as sports start up as school finishes out as all of these things in our lives sort of take up our schedules may we not become passive in the things of god that's one kind of danger the other kind of danger as i alluded to a moment ago is just as the quantity of time passes as things wear on right as what's new and exciting now becomes ordinary and just expected in the near future may we not become passive in our ministries and the ministry i think that that's that we need to be pursuing most is that one of prayer right the the, the prayer of the church may we not let less excitement bring us to less interest, which brings us to less prayer. Because we need the Lord as much today as we do tomorrow, as much tomorrow as we did yesterday. And prayer is an active discipline when the Lord accompanies it by His Word and Spirit. He blesses the prayers of His people. And so as a church, let's work hard to cultivate it even more. You've been led, you've been, you've been cultivating this gift for a long time. Let's continue to do that. As we read a moment ago in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, prayer is not the only gift that we should cultivate. There are many ways in which God's people can serve His church. Uh, but this giftedness, these gifts in which God gives His people to serve His church as we know, are things that are attested to from without, not usually self-proclaimed from within, right? And we see this kind of, this danger, this particular danger, this self-appointment, this idea of self-appointment to some particular office or some particular role is also a danger to God's people from within. And we see that exemplified in Adonijah himself. In verse 5, the narrator makes the point, Adonijah the son of Haggith exalted himself saying, I will be king. Notice that, that no one's coming to Adonijah, asking him to be king. No one's pressuring Adonijah to make a move. Uh, he does it on his own. He exalts himself. Which as we, think of, as we think kind of in the history of the people of God, has not been the way that it's done before. Uh, David didn't think, he, he didn't volunteer to be king. No, someone came to him and asked him to be king. Right? God sent uh, Samuel to David to anoint him as king and to appoint him as king. 
And even God's covenant promises in 2 Samuel 7 kind of alluded to this idea that God's going to be the one who raises up the next king for the people of Israel. God says to David, I will make for you a great name. The Lord will make you a house. I will raise up your offspring after you. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. It's the Lord's who's going to do it. But instead of the Lord raising up Adonijah, or even some other people uh, encouraging Adonijah to, to take over, Adonijah, he just picks himself. It's kind of like volunteering to be the taste tester, you know, when mom's cooking. You know, it's something really good. You know, I, you know I'll take one for the team. I'll, I'll be the one who tastes this, uh, this fried fish or this new dessert or whatever it may be. Right? Oh, you know, everybody else in the room is, of course, saying, oh, surely you wouldn't take on that, that risky role for yourself or that, that terrible role for yourself. No. Adonijah says, yeah, I'll volunteer to be king. Takes one for the team. But when we compare Adonijah's rise to power, or so it seems, with David's appointment to the kingship, or even with Solomon's appointment to the kingship down lower in the passage, uh, there's a crucial difference. In verse 5, the narrator says that, that Adonijah, the son of Haggith, exalted himself. But when David finally does take action in verses 33 and following, as he's saying to Zadok and Nathan and Benaiah, Solomon is completely passive in the process, and passive in a good way. It's okay to be passive in the process of becoming king. It's not okay to be passive in actually being king. And Solomon's appointment to the kingship, to the throne, is completely passive. You can look in verse 33. And the king said to them, Take with you the servants of your Lord and have Solomon, my son, ride on the mule. Right? So you have Solomon ride on my mule. You bring him down to Gihon. And let Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet there anoint him king over Israel. Skipping on down to the last part of verse 35. And I have appointed him to be ruler over Israel and Judah. Solomon's entirely passive in, his, in the process of him uh, becoming king. His, his rising to the throne of kingship in the people of Israel, over the people of Israel. Adonijah's is completely self-appointed. And it's this self-appointment that's dangerous. We know from the actions that follows and the, narration, the, the, the rest of the story surrounding his appointment that Adonijah's not a good man. Right? His stepmother, Bathsheba, is scared for her life and for Solomon's life if Adonijah stays in power. He's not an honorable man. He won't be a good king. And instead of making himself useful, perhaps, in other ways in the kingdom... He takes what he wants to by force. Self-appointed leadership or servitude is, is dangerous. And it's dangerous because it usually, it usually hurts people in its path. And also behind this kind of self-appointed kingship is heart motivations that, that may not be just right. As we look at Adonijah here, we could ask the question, is, is Adonijah 
Is he really trying to glorify God or is he really just taking this opportunity, this leadership vacuum as an opportunity to be the most powerful man in his part of the world? It's hard to discern what our heart motivations are. It's hard to discern the real reasons behind our actions sometimes. You know, how, how, how do I know if I'm picking myself for my own glory or if I'm picking myself for the glory of God? But I think that the way we can kind of get a read on those heart motivations behind our actions, behind our, our volunteering and so on and so forth is, is simply just asking the question, you know, what are our aspirations? What do we volunteer for? You know, are we automatically volunteering to be a part of the most glamorous areas of ministry? Are we willing and happy to serve just wherever we can? We just want to we just want to serve the church. We just want to serve the Lord. We just want to serve wherever we can help. That's what the Lord asks of us. Just, 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 just be a part of the church. Be a part of her ministry. Serve where you're needed. And do it vigorously. Do it faithfully. And figure out, you know, if, if, if you're called to the, the higher callings or so on and so forth, figure that out later. But, but don't go full bulldozer and, and try to get what you want by force. But also, this passage kind of warns us about making moves in the shade or in secrecy, which is the third danger for God's kingdom from within, is, is that shady activity is a danger to God's kingdom from within. And this is the aspect of Adonijah's coup that, uh, that, that really comes into full view when you compare his attempt at the throne and Solomon's being appointed to the throne. There are a number of different things that sets them apart. Adonijah, uh, his, uh, his pursuit of the throne is, is done in secret from beginning to end. Whereas Solomon's appointment to the kingship is out in the open, out in the public from beginning to end. It's not hidden from anyone. Adonijah's, uh, his commission, the men that he surrounds himself with, are, are not the greatest characters in the Bible. Right? They're questionable men at best. But Solomon's commission, the men that, that go to appoint him and anoint him as king, is full of honorable men. Adonijah's, uh, he, he's uh, in an effort to steal David's people, whereas David's people and resources are sent out with King Solomon. Adonijah's uh, anointing or appointment to the kingship happens uh, by the serpent's stone, which is not, just, just doesn't even sound like a great place, whereas um, Solomon's anointing happens in Gihon, which is one of, uh, near one of Jerusalem's main water supplies. It shares a name with the primeval river in Genesis 2, verses 10 to 13. It's just a, probably a beautiful place and a memorable place in the nation of Israel. We all know that, that nine times out of ten, when something is done in secret, uh, it's probably not a good thing, and it's probably a reason why it's done in secret. It was true for Adonijah. It's true for the church today. Adonijah used secrecy to try to exalt himself. As king, he did it in the shade, he did it in the darkness, he did it in the background instead of out in the open. 
And the temptation for us, I think, as Christians, uh, as, as especially, again, as your pastors and your elders so often allude to, the, the more that we kind of do life together in the church, the temptation is for us to use this secrecy not quite as tactfully, but in the form of gossip. Right? We want to use that tool sometimes to exalt ourselves over other people. Uh, we want to highlight their failures and highlight our successes, minimize their successes and minimize our failures. And so as we serve along each, alongside each other in the church and we encounter more opportunities to sin against one another, and as we encounter one another's failures, there's a great opportunity to, to use secrecy and to use uh, specifically speech in secret um, to ruin the good name of our brother and sister. I'll probably go ahead and say it and just declare, you, you will be tempted to talk about someone in the near future. There, and, and you'll probably even be given the opportunity to talk about someone in the near future. And let me just give you a word of wisdom. Just don't, right? Speech in an effort to tear down other people's character and not done to them, right? In front of them. Speech about someone behind their backs instead of speech to someone is hurtful. So let me encourage us just to sharpen our tongues not in the sense of a sword to do damage, but in the sense of a scalpel to help our brothers and sisters, not to cut deeper and to make more bleeding happen, but to make better, to heal. Surgery never happens in the dark. It never happens behind, uh, in the darkness behind closed doors. It happens out in the open. We sharpen our brothers and sisters. Iron sharpens iron on a one-to-one kind of conversation with grace and humility and love and gentleness. As we kind of close out here, we realize as we've covered some ground this evening that Christ has redeemed us from being people who are passive when it comes to the ministry of the church. Christ has redeemed us from being overzealous and idolizing the things within the church and Christ has redeemed us uh, not to operate in the shade, in the darkness. He's redeemed us, us from our yuck in the process of sanctification. He's, he's redeeming us to serve Him and to serve His church. He's redeemed us to be faithful, a faithful people of God, not to be superheroes, not to be the best at really anything, not to be the most gifted people, not to be the people in the spotlight, not to be anything but faithful. That's what he calls his people to be, and that's exactly what we see in Nathan and Bathsheba, God working through ordinary faithfulness inside his providence, God working through ordinary faithfulness of ordinary people to preserve his kingdom. If you look at Nathan and Bathsheba throughout the narrative, they, they hear what's going on, 
right? They talk about what's going on for the purpose of bringing it out in the open, not for the purpose of gossiping, right? Their goal the entire time is, is not to talk about how terrible Adonijah is or how, how this or that Adonijah is. Their, their problem, their, their, I mean, their goal the entire time is to bring the issue out into the open and to force David's hand to work, to do something, to move. And because David at this point in his life, you know, especially since 2 Samuel 11 and his affair with Bathsheba, has been sort of a passive king since then, even apathetic, doesn't like to act as king as much, David and Bathsheba devise a plan that, that kind of forces his hand, forces him to do something. And so they, they, the plan is Bathsheba goes in, tells the king what's going on. Nathan comes in right after her to sort of reinforce the issue and to highlight uh, the, the need for something to be done now. But if you, if you kind of take a step back from their actions, you realize that, that they're not really doing anything super spectacular. They're not really doing anything super glamorous. Uh, they're not doing anything that, that, that a superhero would do if you were watching it on television. They're, they're just simply being good reporters. They hear of something going on in the kingdom and they go to the king and tell him, and force his hand to act on it. They're being faithful. And it's their faithfulness that God uses to preserve the kingdom from an evil king. And it's this kind of faithfulness that God uses to preserve his church in times of difficulty. When dangers come about from within or from without. What, what, what I'm trying to the idea that I'm trying to get across here is, is that you don't have to be a, a gifted Christian. You don't have to be a Christian in a position of authority. You don't have to be a Christian who is special to be used by God to benefit His kingdom. It just causes people to be faithful. Just be faithful. And so as we think about kind of areas in which to plug this in in the life of the church, uh, one of those areas is just the nursery. Not super glamorous. Not very fun for some of us. Some of us, it's awesome. But it's there when we just take care of our little children and pray for them and hold them and comfort them. That God uses those things. God uses the, just the prayers of of holding little ones in the nursery, perhaps to raise them up so that they never know a day in which they didn't know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Or maybe it's the children's Sunday school room. Maybe it's faithfully teaching our little children the things of God in which they look back 30 years from now and say, that I don't know a time when I didn't trust Christ. Or maybe it's doing other less glamorous things like cleaning up after the associate pastor's dessert function the other night. Or maybe it's, again, cleaning up after the associate pastor for all the cardboard boxes that are in the hall after he unpacks his library. Right? It's just serving the Lord's church in those particular ways, not glamorous, right? not flashy, but they bless the people of God, they bless your brothers and sisters, and they glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? Just simply being involved in people's lives, simply just genuinely caring 
about other people and genuinely asking them and involving yourself in a conversation about how they're doing is one way that we just, it's not very glamorous, it's not very flashy, but the Lord uses it to minister to his people. And so let me just encourage you, brothers and sisters, just be ordinary. Just be content with being faithful. Because it's in, in those things, and God using you in just the ordinary ministry of the church, it's there where he will glorify himself and where you will find yourself to enjoy him most. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we give you thanks that you use your people uh, to accomplish your desires, uh, that you use secondary causes, as the confession says, uh, and sometimes those secondary causes are us. And sometimes it's, it's just us being faithful that you use to bless your people immensely and glorify yourself immensely. And so, Father, we pray that we would be just that, that by your Spirit who works in us, we would be faithful servants of the Almighty God. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.